Chapter Fourteen of Bernard Treves's Boots: A Novel of the Secret Service. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A few minutes later, in his own room and by candlelight, he set to work to find a meaning for the arrangement of little pebbles Crumbs had placed upon the foreshore. A dozen times he went over the dot dash lines in his pocket book, and each time the hidden meaning intensified in clarity. Finally he began to write with a sudden, vivid, and passionate interest. The first word defined was obest. Then he continued slowly and carefully, Misstrauisch und aufgeregt, neue Minen Karte in Händen des Kapitans, nicht mögliches sofort zu finden, von Ohr ist nichts zu hören, ganze Geschichte schwierig, bitte um antwort s so friend crumbs is a german after all and an educated german at that he exclaimed under his breath then he took his pencil and began to translate the message the result in english was as follows colonel suspicious and nervous new mine chart in hands of naval commander impossible to find it at once no news of r matters difficult answer this s john looked up with a grave face almost for the first time he felt a doubt in that moment he almost doubted even dacent smith's power to cope with such subtlety such ingenious coordination as this crumbs was a spy actually in the heart of a vital fort a spy who was possibly one of a score or a hundred busy upon the south coast at that moment john felt oppressed by a consciousness of dark agencies planning evil here was no romance here was real hard solid fact war sims was an item in this warfare one of a chain of which manmut cheriton mrs beecher monmouth and the great unknown himself were all separate links for some minutes john paced the narrow confines of his room who was r from whom no news had arrived a sensation that calamity and failure was possible bore in upon him he had made a discovery truly but would that discovery mean the frustration of the mysterious attack that was impending he did not know he hardly dared to hope if heatherpoint fort were out of action colonel hoban had said and if skoll's head were similarly out of action there might be the devil to pay john realized as he paced his little room with crumb's message in his hand that an attack by sea was planned otherwise why the mention of the new mine chart and if an attack by sea was intended on the great naval port of blank goals and heatherpoint must be first put out of action after that the boom which ran across from ponsonby lighthouse to blank must be overcome he looked again at the message this must be got to dacent smith at once he thought and in the meantime crumbs must be watched he placed the message carefully in his pocket-book then a new thought having struck him he hurried out and sought sergeant ewins the sergeant occupied one compartment of an old railway coach which had been turned into huts for the men ewins was lying on his bunk when john entered reading a sunday paper by the light of a fort candle as thick as a man's wrist 
"'I want to have a word with you, Ewins,' said John, sitting on the edge of the chief gunner's bunk, which had formerly been a railway seat. "'Can you tell me,' he went on, "'if it is possible for anyone to make a landing on the south shore there? I mean in the bay below the lookout.' "'It's possible, of course,' Ewins answered, "'but risky.' "'You don't think it possible,' inquired John, "'for a submarine to lie out there in the bay "'and send a small canvas boat ashore?' Ewins shook his head. "'You've forgotten our minefield. "'A submarine could not pass it, sir.' "'No, I haven't forgotten that,' answered John. "'But suppose the Germans know where our mines are?' "'Then they'd know more than we do, sir,' answered Ewins. "'Nobody in the fort knows that, except the commander, and perhaps the colonel.' the reason i am asking you went on john is that i have discovered something and want to give you an opportunity of coming down on the shore with me to-night sir inquired ewins john nodded i suppose ewins it seems fantastical and impossible to you but i have a theory that the germans intend to bring a boat ashore there in my opinion they have been there before to-night ewins eyes opened wide do you think that is so, sir? he asked in a voice of deep amazement. Then his eyes brightened. I'd like to come with you, sir, if you think there's any likelihood of that sort of thing. I don't think it. I know it, said John. It may not be to-night, because of the full moon, nor to-morrow night. But some time or other, and maybe soon, I am prepared to bet my hat that a German will land from the sea. He will land Ewins in the bay below us, within a quarter of a mile of where we are now sitting. The manner in which Ewins took this information filled John with satisfaction. The old soldier was spoiling for a fight. For four years he had had nothing better to shoot at than a target, and he was longing for a chance of real action. Nevertheless, John's fear was correct for that night and the next night the moon shone brilliantly and nothing happened on the shore crumb's message lay unread in the bright moonlight the third night however the sky was overcast but by a sudden swift turn of circumstances john was not there to see what happened manton's record on crumb's secret signal had been taken with the utmost seriousness by dacent smith and on the afternoon of the third day, when John was alone at tea in the mess-room, an orderly thumped along the passage. "'A gentleman to see you, sir,' said the orderly. "'What's his name?' John asked. "'Captain Sinclair, sir.' John rose, and a minute later Captain X stepped into the little room. Captain X was in uniform, and John noticed that he wore the Mons ribbon and the DSO. "'Surprised to see me, eh?' exclaimed the young man, gripping John's hand heartily, then dropping his voice. "'I'm here from the chief. Is it quite private here?' "'Quite,' John answered, "'but I would rather take you into my room.' They went along the passage to John's bedroom. John seated himself on the bed, and Captain X, or Sinclair, occupied the only chair. "'The chief's thoroughly stirred up,' said Sinclair, plunging into his subject without preliminary. He has passed on your information to me. I must say you seem to have all the luck, Treves. A signal on the sands, eh? That beats everything for cunning. I have heard of clothes being hung out in the Morse code, and Morse smoke signals from a chimney. By the way, do you think your chap Sims signals with smoke from his bakehouse? John shook his head. 
"I have spent hours looking at his chimney," he said. "It was the first thing I thought of when I began to suspect him, and it was only an accident which made me get on to his real game after all. I knew any kind of flash signal was out of the question here." "Neatest thing they've done yet, eh, Treves? I must say this sort of thing makes the fight full of zip and go," he said. Then he looked at John with a commiserating eye. "'I am going to dash your spirits, old chap.' "'Well, get on with it,' said John. "'I am going to pick up the plums you have shaken off the tree.' "'How's that?' For answer Sinclair drew an envelope from his pocket. John recognized the colour and shape of the envelope in a minute. He read the short typed letter with gathered brows, then struck a match and destroyed it carefully. The letter contained an order from Dacent Smith that John should surrender his position at Heatherpoint to Captain X, and was to resume work immediately against Cheriton, Dr. Voules, and Mrs. Beecher Monmouth. "'It's rough luck, old chap,' said Captain X, "'but I expect that before this big movement is finished you will have as much chance of adventure as I shall.' "'I hope so,' said John. "'But I was looking forward to the result of Crumb's signal. Last night the moon shone out of pure cussedness. Captain X sprang up to the window and looked out. "'It's clouding up to-night, old chap,' he exclaimed joyously, "'and you'll be away for the fun.' "'Hello,' he said. His eyes were lowered and were fixed upon a man in shirt-sleeves in the doorway opposite. "'Is that Crumbs?' "'Yes,' said John. "'But don't let him see you looking at him.' I am not so sure, but he hasn't spotted something. He'll spot something in a day or two, said Captain X, coming back from the window, and in the meantime the chief's orders are to leave him a long rope. John's orders from his chief were that he should report to Colonel Hoban and leave Heatherpoint immediately. He began to change his clothes and talked to his companion at the same time. "'You can rub acquaintance with crumbs while I get out of the fort,' he said. "'He mustn't see me in Mufti. "'I shall spend a night in Newport and call on Dr. Voules to-morrow morning.' "'Who do you think Voules is?' asked the captain. John shook his head. "'I shall know more about that to-morrow,' he said. When he was ready to go, he shook hands cordially with his companion. He always felt older than Captain X, though their ages were the same. Captain X's audacity and joy in life amused John. His colleague always put so much zest into everything he did. "'I should advise you,' he said, gripping the captain's hand, "'to use Ewan's if you want any help on the beach to-night. He is an old soldier, and, I should think, if an awkward moment arrived, you could rely on him.' "'Thanks,' said Sinclair. "'This is a new game for me.' I have never had the chance of angling for a German submarine commander before, but I expect there'll be one ashore here to-night, eh, Treves? Somebody comes ashore, responded John, and reads those signals. He went out and sat in the mess-room for a few minutes, leaving Sinclair time to occupy Crumb's attention while he slipped away from the fort. End of chapter 14